But uh, we're in a series right now called Discipleship, which I take really serious because Jesus said that the, the Great Commission was to go into all the nations and make disciples. He didn't say to make Christians. And I do think that there is a difference because a Christian is someone that believes in Jesus, uh, but uh, a disciple is someone that becomes like Jesus. So we talked about two weeks ago the process of discipleship and what it looked like to make a decision to follow God with abandonment and uh, in, in becoming a disciple. Remember, uh, Billy Graham said, salvation is free, discipleship costs everything. And I want to make sure that I, I, th- there is no condemnation for those that don't give up everything and follow the Lord. But please understand that God is still going to continue to pursue you and sometimes make your life awful until you do give up everything. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever experienced that, but he has not been afraid to put my life in an uncomfortable position in, the, in getting me to surrender to him. Uh, and so he wants us to become like Jesus. I believe that that is the greatest call. That's why Jesus was sent to earth, not just to die, but to model what righteousness and godliness is, that we would become like him in all things. And so the process of discipleship is that a rabbi would teach his way to all of his followers, and his followers would become like him in that when the rabbi leaves, he has someone that models Jesus to the world. And so I believe that that's our calling. And last week we talked about the first trait of someone that is becoming a disciple is their love for the Word of God. Is their love for the Word of God. It's their love for the Word of God. And so this week um, I believe that one of the traits of disciples, of someone that is a student of Jesus, uh, I'm one of my friends back in the day, Rick, I love just saying this because he, he used to say it. It was really cool. He used to say that um, I'm a student of Jesus trying to graduate sixth grade and get to seventh grade in Jesus. And uh, what I love about that is that many of us mentally think that we've arrived. We know all about him. And man, when we, anytime we've reached that point in anything in life, we have missed it. And, uh, and I see this not just in Christ, but as a student of anything that we're passionate about, the day that we stop wanting to learn is the day that we have begun the process of falling out of love with that. Uh, I think about uh, athletes that are like right now football season is going, you know, Peyton Manning. They said like, like he was one of the most difficult guys to be around because you realize just how much you didn't love football based on being around him because of how much he threw himself into learning about the sport of football. And he just knew so much and felt like he needed to continue to learn and learn and learn and learn and learn because he loved football. But when we love God, we have to understand that we're, we're pursuing a person that is so much bigger than anything we've yet to even learn or encounter. And it, it's like that in any relationship. I think that there comes a point in many relationships where we stop pursuing because we think that we've caught or we've learned. And so the relationship then gets boring and we stop going after and trying to learn and trying to pursue and trying to provoke greater love and know them more because we got them all figured out. It's all good. And man, that's such a bad place to be in, in a relationship. We have to continue to pursue. So we're talking today about hunger. Jesus said that blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled And I'm thinking about hunger just in the natural and a disciple, a rabbi back in the day of Christ 
It was said often that fathers would bless their sons in a way that may the dust of your rabbi ever be upon you. Meaning, wherever the rabbi walked, the disciples would want to be behind him. If it meant kicking that the rabbi would, would the, his dust from, his, the, from what he walked on would fall upon them, then that would be an honor because it meant they were close to their rabbi. I think that the day that we forget that we're students and we're still learning and we want to know more is the day you're going to quit learning your Bible. You're going to quit trying to pursue a greater understanding of who he is. And I want to remind you, first of all, that we don't yet know. I mean, the God of the universe is much bigger than an ocean. And we've yet to tap into an ocean. He's complicated. I'm thinking a little bit about what is hunger. It's a craving, you know. And uh, we, we have to remember that, that if you're hungry for God and you're, you're trying to grow in your faith and you want to, to get better, it, you can't eat once a week. So like this here was awesome. And what we're trying to do today is create an atmosphere that's not churchy, but it's set up to be like one that could be like in your home where you are going after Jesus. And I want to make sure that you understand above all things that one, God is alive and he wants to meet you in your bedroom, in your car, at your job, wherever you're at. He wants to be there with you. And that's my hope as a pastor that we can lead you to a place where you know how to get to God and find him and go after him. Uh, And that's when I think that we're really getting this. Hmm. Cool. I'm going to read you a scripture of someone who was pretty hungry for God. It's found in Matthew chapter 26. Um, It's a really popular story. I'm just going to read you the whole whole passage and we'll talk about it. Um, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And he was eating and a woman came in while he came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. Disciples were indigent to, when they saw this, and it, what a waste. They said it could have been sold at a high price, and money could have been given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing for me? You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. She has poured out this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. And I tell you the truth, that wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's good deed will be remembered and discussed. When I think about one of the first traits um, that a disciple has, a disciple has a desire to be in their rabbi's presence. And I, 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 I say this hoping that I'm, being, that I'm provoking you to remember that he is good and he's unpredictable and he's faithful and he's interesting. And like, if you've gotten bored in your relationship with God, wake up. Because he wants you to grow. Hmm. What you feed will grow and what you starve will die. And the less that you pursue God, the more your desire for him will get faint. But the more that you make effort and opportunity to pursue God, the more that you will feed this desire and this craving, 
and you'll become a connoisseur of what is powerful and what is real. And I think about all the people in the scripture that wanted God's presence, like this woman who was willing to break an alabaster jar over, over Jesus. And I love about how meaningful this was to him because he said, wherever the gospel is spoken, we'll talk about this woman. Now, there are several people that had crazy encounters. Mary sat at his feet and John laid his head on Jesus' chest. I think about others. I think about Abraham, how he sacrificed uh, his, he was willing to sacrifice his son. And Enoch and, and Noah, who walked with God in a, in a culture where no one else was willing to walk with God. They wanted his presence and they wouldn't, they wouldn't have, no, Moses, who said, God, if, if, you, if you don't come with me, I don't want to leave this place. Show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. I mean, throughout scripture, there were people that were radical about wanting to be in God's presence. And I think that there is something about people that are not willing to move on from encountering God. And this woman with the alabaster jar was willing in a room full of disciples. I want to remind you that she was willing to go further because she needed to be close to him. The, the, the woman who, who had the issue of blood, I mean, there are so many people in Scripture that fought to get close to Jesus. In your life, I think it is my job to remind you Pursue Jesus and get close to him. There is nothing like God in all of this world. C.S. Lewis said that if we have found in ourselves that there is nothing in this world that can satisfy the longing in our heart, it can mean only one thing, that I was not meant for anything in this world. And so there's this longing and this wanting, and it's a God-shaped hole that he desires intimacy with his bride. You he wants you. He is a jealous God and he's after your heart. And so I think disciples that are really hungry and want to know something, they have this desire to learn and be close to and as close as they can get. And I want to encourage you, man, it's my heart that I love God far more than any of you. I want to love God way more than any of you. I want God to look down on earth and go, that story of that woman who broke the alabaster jar, she'll be told everywhere amongst the earth. I want people to tell stories about the love of God, the love for God that I have for him. And, I, and I'm not saying that to be selfish. I'm saying it because I want you to have that same thing. Like, God, I want, I want your attention. I want you to, to be proud of my devotion for you. The second thing I want you to know is that there is no cost cost is meaningless. When you're, when you're hungry. I was thinking about just a silly illustration for how cost is meaningless when you're hungry. I go to Disney a lot with my kids. Sometimes I, I, I love Disney when I'm not there. I hate it when I'm there. I, just for the record, I hate Disney when I'm not there. You walk around and, I, and you get, you get thir right, first of all, we live in a culture that's, or in a, in a place that's 120 degrees. Um, and it feels like we just stepped out of a shower all the time, right? And so you're always thirsty and always hungry when you're at Disney and you go to any stand and they remind you that a, a bottle of water is $45. You got it. Here's 45. And when do we not pay it? Like it's, it's worth it. I am thirsty. There is, like, I want to remind you that God loves you just where you are, but he wants you. 
And there's no shame in where you've been because you have a relationship with him, but God's love for you is calling you to greater. And there is a cost to fulfill this. What I mean by that is uh, if you currently find that in your heart you are not loving God to the degree to which you believe he is calling you, which should probably be 99.9 of us in this room right now. Like when I look at what he does for me and my love does not compare to what I'm meeting, I'm not meeting up. And I want you to know it's gonna cost you something to make that greater, but when you want something, the cost is worth it. Any athlete, the prize is worth all of the sacrifice in their life. There is no athlete that is great that is not willing to sacrifice food, time, family, money, whatever it takes, they want a prize. Our prize is not of this world. And the good news is we already possess it. But to know him deeper, to know his voice, like, you know what I love? I love when I get around people. She's not here right now, so I'll talk about her. I love when I get around people like Alicia because they know his voice. God speaks and like, it's like they, they hear it. When she prays, it's like, why do I not know how to pray? And there's people that study the word and you get around them and it's like, man, I've, not, I've never read the Bible in my life. And you get around other people that, that know how to sacrifice and you're like, wait a second, I'm not doing it right. And it's because the cost is calling you. And, it, and it's worth it. He is worth it. He gave it all for me. And so I want you to know today, if you're realized that you have, there's a quote that's pretty powerful. Oh, I have it here. Yeah, awesome. I, <laughs> I thought about it ahead of time. Uh, it says this, man, this is so, 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 so true. Because we eat in the wrong things. It's like, you know, when you're bored and you're cruising uh, and you're hungry and you're at home and you're, you're hungry and you cruise through the snack drawer and you eat Oreos, a cup, you know, just three, four, it's always Oreos, right? Like, maybe it's just my house. Uh, but, like, it, that will ruin your appetite. That's what we tell children, isn't it, right? Like, if you, there are good things for you to eat, and there are things that God doesn't want you to eat. It's worth paying the price to eat the good things because it will develop a greater you. You eat spinach and broccoli and meat, like, protein, and you eat good. Some of you don't eat spinach or not, but it's good for you, and you know it. But we shouldn't just indulge on things that are subpar of what is best for you. And so I know that in my life, I've hungered for the wrong things. And here's, here's the trade. I want to talk about the cost here for a second. Listen to this quote. If we feel strong, if we don't, I'm sorry, if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we've nibbled so long at the table of the world that our soul is stuffed from the small things and there's no room for the great. And I realize that I, sometimes I'm just, I, I, my heart wants to love God. My flesh wants to love everything but. And a true disciple will lay it all down to have more of God. Salvation is free. Discipleship costs everything. Here's what I want to say. If you want a greater love for God, it's so easy. Fasting is the easiest way to provoke your love for God. Every athlete does it. Every, every, every doctor will recommend it. 
Fasting is a way to cleanse your body of things that is awful for you in a way that doctors will say today that one of the ways that they can help fight cancer is through fasting. It cleanses your body of all the crap. It does the same with your soul. Now, I'm not telling you that you just need to fast food, but what is it that you love doing the most? What occupies your time? It may be Facebook. It may be, I don't know. I mean, I would hope that food, food will, you love the most, whether you realize it or not. And the moment that you sacrifice food, you will realize that your heart is screaming for God and you've just muted it. But if you find today that you, your heart and your hunger is not where you want it to be, I double, triple, I, I triple dog dare you. I, that's right, the colossus of all dares, fast. It's a, it's a place where you and God will exist and no one else. It's good for you. As your pastor and your friend, you have to know that. The cost is meaningless when you want something. Here's the last thing. We want to hunger together. Here's a fact. When I eat alone, I eat crappy. But when I eat with other people, I eat good. Here's what I mean by that. There's something wonderful about making meals. So when you make meals, you plan nutrition you plan conversation. You, you plan good things. When you eat together, you will, it'll be healthy. But when you, and it's not just you. You're just going to throw a pizza in the oven that's crap or some chicken fingers or some ramen noodles, you know, or just noodles. Like, yeah, there's a whole lot of healthy stuff involved in just noodles, and many of us do it. When you eat alone, you don't eat as well. I believe one of the traits to learning is being together. When you're hungry... You have an appetite for knowledge. Knowledge comes when you gather around and talk and share stories. And here's the, one of the problems with our church and the church worldwide. That people have been hurt by other people. And they've allowed that to remove themselves from a conversation that is going to be best for them. You will learn most and be provoked spiritually together. That's why all of you love worship at church, because we're together. And so one of the things that I've come to find is that if you want to become a disciple, you have to know that you have to gather with other disciples. I believe that I learned more this Wednesday night that just passed about this message last Wednesday than I did when I actually studied it for 14 hours because I spent 30 minutes with other people talking about their perspective of the word. Our faith was not meant to be heard. It was meant to be digested and shared. It was meant to be exposed. It was meant to say, like, I'm struggling. I can't do this thing called read my Bible. I'm terrible at it. Well, me too. Well, let's, let's try together. And, to, and then it just, we, we lift our faith from one level to another level. Like, we are better together than we will ever be alone. And this is one of the greatest exploits of the enemy, in my opinion, is to get us alone. Because when we're alone, we don't know how to compare our faith to someone else. We don't know how to be motivated. We don't realize that there's a standard greater than our own. 
We don't realize that we're, we're not good being generous. We're not good at prayer. We don't, we don't realize that we're not good at sharing our faith or being around, but when we're around other people, the standard goes up. And so I'm sorry that you've been hurt by the church. Join the club. So have I. But we live in a culture where we have to know forgiveness because Jesus modeled it from the cross. We're going to have to forgive people and be together. And I know that it's going to be hard for you, but you're going to have to trust God and trust the people that God is putting in your life if you want to grow. But you're not going to grow alone. I know that I know, if there's anything I know, you're not going to grow alone. Rachel, would you come? I have a, a weird word that I felt like I should share in closing. There's this story of the woman with the alabaster jar, you know, and she, when she broke it, like, she, that story was like one that would be modeled throughout the world. Please hear this. This is pretty neat, in my opinion. And so there's some people here that like this intimacy with Jesus is hard. Like, I'm not good at that. Sometimes it's like dudes, you know, they're like, I'm, I'm a dude. I don't know how to like love Jesus like that. Well, David did, and he killed people, lots of them. He was a man. He cut some dude's head off, 10 foot tall dude too. And he still loved Jesus. That's a real man right there. Anyways, I'm just letting you know. Hey, so there, I want you to know that not all of the disciples were John. Here's what I mean by that. John laid his head on Jesus' chest. I don't know of any other account of any other disciple getting that close intimately with Jesus. There's room for your gifts to be intimate with Jesus. So the story where the disciples are sitting around this, the table and this woman comes in and breaks the jar, they were already disciples. But they didn't operate like she did. Now Jesus is talking about her faith is greater. What she's doing is more important to me. But Jesus didn't say that they weren't disciples. I hear some of the spiritual gifts that's happening in that conversation. One of them, the tax collectors, he's like, dude, Jesus, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. That's a discipleship trait. So I don't want to ostracize you because you're not good at this. I want you to know that there's room for you to be a disciple, but he is calling you to relationship. All of us are being called to relationship and relationships require intimacy. So there's this story where Jesus is talking to the disciples in John chapter four. He just met the woman at the well. And uh, he, when, the, when, when the woman at the well leaves and Jesus had this awesome moment where he's talking to her about salvation, she leaves and this happens. The disciples show up in John chapter four and uh, they said, Jesus, you, you need to eat. And he says, well, I did eat. And they said, well, I don't, Rabbi, eat something. Uh, verse 32 Jesus replied, I, I have a kind of food that you don't know anything about. Verse 33, he said, did, did someone bring you food? Like, did we miss something? And uh, in, in verse 40, 34, he says this. He says that, that, that Jesus explained, he says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finishing his work. Like, there are things that God is calling you to do that will feed your soul. Mm. And sometimes it's, we're just relying on food. And there's something missing. There's a, there's a, there's a hole would you bow your heads and close your eyes real quick? God, I, I want to do great things for you. I am. Um, it's my heart.
I want to please you. I want to honor you. I want to live for you. I, I want to do great things. I, I don't know what your will is for me, but I want, to, I want to know it more. I want to get closer to you. I want to get closer to you. I want to get closer to you. I want to live a life for you. 